Well, I want to welcome you today, and I want to ask you to help me to welcome our West Campus. Can you help me do that? Just welcome our West Campus. All right. And this week, we are in the final week of our series on masquerades. We talk about the masks that we hide behind and that we, uh, we deal with. And this weekend, we're talking about the dark side, the Jekyll and the Hyde. Everybody kind of has two personas, if you would. There's the one that we want everybody to see, and then there's the one that kind of lurks deep within that we don't want to talk about. And we're going to talk about that dark side, that issue of our life uh, this weekend. Uh, I want to open with the kind of the theme verse for our series, which has been 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says this, that we refuse to wear masks and to play games. We don't maneuver, we don't manipulate behind the scenes. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. When we're talking about the dark side, uh, there's a different uh, one of us from the outside going to church on the weekend than the, probably than maybe even the real inside person that sometimes we are and that we deal with. And uh, there's a, it's a side of us, quite frankly, that we would love to see change, but we work very hard with keeping this dark side, this Jekyll and Hyde, kind of under wraps. And the reason why is because we had this fear of exposure. If someone really knows who I am, if somebody really knows the junk that I'm dealing with, if somebody really knows the secret sin that I'm struggling with, they won't accept me. They will reject me. They won't have anything to do with me. And, and I want to tell you, I think every single person on the planet deals with that. Let me say that again. I think every single person on the planet deals with that. We're going to talk more about it as we go into, into tonight's message. But um, I want to let you know that God is not here to expose us. He's not here to expose you. He's not here to expose me. He's here to rescue us and to help us. And that's what this message is all about. I want to look behind the mask for a few minutes. And, 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 and here's the deal. I know we don't really like messages like this. And I'll tell you why. It's right in Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Why? For fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's why we don't like talking about it. That's why, quite frankly, it's one of those things we just like to kind of skip over a little bit. We don't really like that because it's fear that our deeds will be exposed. And again, there is no fear because we will never find the freedom that we need if we spend energy trying to mask over the secret sin, the issues that we deal with, this dark side. And I don't know why this is exactly, but it's especially true when it comes to sexual sins. Um, because it seems to be that's probably the most secretive, the most ashamed and, 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 and what used to require a trip to a bookstore now can simply be accessed on a home computer or on a mobile phone with, with, with wireless networks. This is a big deal. Statistics say that 40 million people in this country, and there's only a little over 300 million people in the United States, regularly view online pornography. More money is generated through the porn industry than through Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL combined in this country. Child pornography is a $3 billion a year business. 90% of 8 to 16 year olds have or do view porn online. Do you hear what I just said, parents? 
90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have seen or regularly see pornography online. And one-third of all online pornography users are women. So this isn't just a man's issue. These, these aren't Christian statistics. These are just secular stats. And see, and here's how it works. Here's how all this stuff works. Here's how the dark side works. Here's how, you know, Mr. Hyde, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Here's how Mr. Hyde comes out. First of all, uh, the enemy's job is to provide us with an opportunity. We have an opportunity. This is how sin works, very simply. We have an opportunity. Satan customizes a sin just for you and just for me, kind of like a specialty lure to catch that big game fish. I mean, he, he, he does exactly, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says, Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must master it. Don't be naive and think that this doesn't affect you or your family. Let me tell you something. We can't prevent sin from having an opportunity. You can't prevent from being tempted by something. We don't, we, there is no way to, we live in this world. There's no way to keep ourselves immune from the enemy trying to offer us an opportunity, trying to customize a lure that will try to put us as a trophy on his wall, so to speak. Does that make sense? The second thing is, is that after we have an opportunity, then we begin to take a look. This is where we do have, a, have, chance, have choice. We begin to entertain it. We begin to entertain. And the entry point of all sin is through the eyes. The entry point of all sin is through the eyes. That's what Scripture says. You control the eyes. You control what you see. You control what you look at. You control what you allow your eyes to see. You will control 90% of the sin that you'll deal with in your life. If you control just what you see, you will control 90% of the sin and the temptation that you deal with us. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. When by his own evil desires, not by the enemy, not by God, not by somebody else. You know, this isn't third grade and Johnny made me do it. By my own evil desires, by my own junk that I deal with, by my own sin, by the thing that I mask, by my own dark side. Then we began to reason. And this is what happens, we begin to reason. And the number one reason that I hear from people on why they do this is God wants me to be happy. No, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. God wants me to be happy is nowhere in Scripture, kind of like a parent to a child. My, my children, I wake them up to go to school, not so that they're happy, but because I want them to get an education so that they'll get out of my house. You know what I'm talking about? There's nothing happy about that experience of school for them. You know, my, if my, my, one of my kids to be happy, I would feed them junk food all day long, but that would make them sick, and that would make me unhappy, right? And so the deal is, is God doesn't want to make you happy, your chief desire in life is not to be happy. If I talk to someone who's going through a divorce, here's what they say. I'm not happy. Life's too short to live this way. I shouldn't have to be unhappy. I don't, this is the reason why I'm doing this, because it makes me happy. I go to the bar because it makes me happy. I'm dating this person because they make me happy. I'm doing this because it makes me happy. I do this because it makes me happy. And happy is not a virtue found in Scripture. Holiness is, but not happiness. We begin to reason. And, and, and other reasons we come up with is maybe it's okay. Everybody deals with this. God's grace is sufficient for me. 
Isn't it funny how we can rationalize and reason our own sin? I mean, we all deal with it. You guys are looking at me like, that's not me. Take the mask off. We are all, I mean, we're all one beggar to another beggar where to find food. We deal with this. And this isn't something you just deal with in a season of your life. This is something that, man, from here into to the time that we see Jesus, it's our, flail, our failed flesh. It's our humanity. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, When he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All of a sudden, you began to reason yourself away of why that sin is okay. Why it's okay. Why it's okay to be at the bar. Why it's okay to be at the club. Why it's okay to, 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 to view what you're viewing online. Why it's okay to spend this. Why it's okay to do that. Why it's okay. And, and you're rationalizing in your own self. You begin to reason. And then we all take a step. Take a step. We've all done it. We, we allow that, we, we fall prey to that temptation. We, we go beyond reason and then we commit the sin. We, we cross the line. We, we do what we know we shouldn't do. And then we get that sin-sick feeling. You know what I'm talking about? That I feel bad feeling. Like, oh, I feel that guilt. And I feel that in its, and, 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 and maybe, maybe because you, you, you don't, it's not until the next morning that you come to yourself and your senses that you feel that. But, but after you've committed that sin, then there's all of a sudden there's this remorse. There's this what I call sin-sickness that we deal with because we take that step and we feel bad. And James chapter 1 verse 15 says, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's very, very straightforward. Desire, sin, death. Every single time. And then what happens is we, last thing we do, we start the cycle. We, we start what I call the sin cycle. We do it, you know, we're, we see it, we're enticed, we feel bad, we, raise, we rationalize it, we do it. Then we come to church, we hear a message like this, and we go, Oh God, please forgive me and help me and I'll never do it and, and, and everything. And, and, then, and we make it maybe to Tuesday and then we fall prey right back to that sin again. Only to go another time, go through the sin cycle again. Feel bad again, have that sin sickness, go back to church, respond to God, make it maybe to Wednesday the next week, and then we do it again. And the process with it is that every time we go through that, that cycle, we get more and more immune. We become more and more immune. We become more and more just like, eh. It, you just, it becomes a little bit less and a little bit less. And, then you, and then, you, then you get this. You go, well, maybe God's okay with it. I mean, I didn't die. He hadn't struck me down dead, right? He hasn't, I mean, I'm not exposed for what I'm doing. Let me say something to you. We live theologically in what, it, what theologians call a dispensation of grace. When Jesus Christ paid the price on, our, on the cross, when we celebrate that this next weekend at Easter, when we, we celebrate that, him paying the price for our sins, from that point until God comes back and raptures a church, theologians call that the dispensation of grace. We live under the dispensation of grace. Prior to that, there is no grace. It's straight Old Testament judgment. You do something wrong, you die. It's real simple. Read the, read, read the, the, the law in the Old Testament. I mean, there is no grace whatsoever. You do something wrong, we kill you. It's real simple. Right? Remember when you thought that's what your parents could do? Right? You do something wrong, off with your head. I mean, you're done, right? 
And Old Testament was that way. When Jesus Christ comes and he dies for the sins of humanity, and he dies on the cross, and, he, and he's, he's raised back to life, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, we live under dispensation of grace. And so God, so what Jesus Christ has done, his grace covers that so that God doesn't just strike you and I dead, so that he doesn't just open up the earth and just swallow us whole the way he did people in the Old Testament. I mean, you want to read some exciting stuff? Read, read what the children of Israel went through in the Old Testament. It's some crazy, crazy stuff. And so the deal is, but we live under the dispensation of grace, and we think because we live under the dispensation of grace, that grace is a welcome mat that we can wipe our dirty, sin-filled feet off onto and go, God's okay with it. And we, 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 we start this sin cycle. And uh, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than any other apostle, he put it this way. He, he, he dealt with this. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. For I have this desire to do what's good. I think everybody in this room would agree. But I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. What I want to do, the good I want to do, it doesn't seem like I can do it. You ever felt like that? You just keep falling back, falling back into the same trap, back in the same trap, back into the same trap. And the good that you want to do, you never seem like that you get that. And it's this struggle. It's this sin cycle. That's why I say with confidence, we all deal with it. It's called flawed humanity. I mean, Scripture is full of men and women who were chosen by God and used by God, but they made mistakes. They, they, they dealt with something. And, and I think everybody, in Scripture, it, it proves this out. Everybody has a dark side. Everybody deals with the dark side. So how do we deal with it? How do we unmask the dark side? That's what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments. How do we unmask the dark side? How do we stop this cycle, this secret sin? How do we get this into the light and deal with it? Now, what I'm going to tell you is way easier said than done. And as I talk to you tonight, fear will grip your heart at a certain point. If you're walking, watching on the West Campus, as I'm speaking to you, fear may grip your heart as you hear this message. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. Because as long as you can keep the sin, as long as you can keep it secret, that's what he tells you. That's a lie the enemy says. As long as you can keep it hidden, as long as you can keep it secret, as long as nobody knows, you're okay. Don't let anybody know what's going on. Because, again, it goes back to that fear. Because if fear of being exposed, if I'm exposed, I'm going to be rejected. If, I, if I'm exposed, I'm going to be found out. If I'm exposed, it's going to happen. So if I don't see it, it's kind of like a three-year-old, you know, playing hide-and-go-seek, and they cover their eyes, and because they can't see you, they don't think you can see them, remember? And, and they're right there, and, you're there. And, and, and that's kind of what we do. We play this game, and, and I want to tell you that fear may grip your heart. That's the enemy of your soul just trying to keep you back and keep you in this stuff. But God's Word has a way that we can unmask this dark side. We can, we can get rid of Mr. Hyde, if you would. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10 says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's why I can say we all struggle with this. That's what the Bible says. But if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For if we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We put the Sunday morning mask on. We put the church mask on. Like, I'm all right. You're all right. Everything's all right. Everybody's all right. Let's just settle down here. Just simmer down a little bit. Just pull it down. No, 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 no. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we claim that we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. The worst thing that we can do 
is not the sin. It's playing the game and live behind the mask. The worst thing that we can do is not the sin. It's playing the game and living behind the mask. The worst thing you can do is play Sunday morning Christianity. The worst thing you can do is be a casual Christian. The worst thing you can do is put on that Sunday morning smile and act like everything's okay and I'm alright and you're alright and let's not really talk about it. Let's not really deal with the junk in our life. Let's not really go into the closets of our life. Let's, go on, let's don't go into the basement of our soul. That's the worst thing. Because God knows that we have sin. It's why he sent Jesus Christ. It's why the word says it right there. But remember, God is light, and in him is no darkness. Well, how can I stand in his presence? Because you live under a dispensation of grace. That Jesus' blood covers your sin. It covers my sin. And when he sees me, he doesn't see my faults and my failures. He sees that I've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That I'm saved that I've been redeemed from the curse of sin and death, that Jesus washed my sins away, and that when I sin, and if I sin, and if I fall, and if I stumble, that I can get back up, that there His grace is sufficient for me for every single time, that all I have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, and He will rescue me. But the enemy of your soul and my soul says, "Uh uh-uh, keep it under wraps, Uh uh-uh. Just act like it's okay. Uh uh-uh. uh. Just if you just smile, everybody just, just smile. It's going to be okay. If we, just, we're gonna act, if we act holy, then maybe we can play the part, right? If I can put my swagger on, everybody thinks I'm cool, then I'm all right, right? That's what I'm talking about. If I can just fake you out, the deal is you may be able to fake me out and I'm able to fake you out, but you can't fake God out. And the worst thing you can do is hide behind the mask. So, how do you change? How do you put down the mask and find freedom? First of all, run. <laughs> run. Are you in? Isn't that deeply spiritual? Run. I'm not talking about a 5K either. Run. <laughs> don't reason. Don't look. Don't have a conversation. Don't have a prayer meeting. Don't go to a Bible study. Just run. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee. Run from the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Run from sin and run towards God. Run from the junk that tempts you and run to righteousness. Run away from whatever holds you and run towards the things of God. If you're in a compromising situation today, stop. Get out. You're married and you're having an office romance, deal with it. Cut it off today. Not tomorrow, not Monday morning, not Tuesday, today. It's done. You got to change your, you, you got to get a new uh, uh, email address. You got to quit your job and go somewhere else. You've got to, you, you've got to uh, uh, change your phone number. You got to change your address. You need to move to somewhere else. Do whatever you have to do, but run. Get away. Stop the situation. You're, 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 you're dealing with, you're stealing money, you're seeing somebody, you're, you're dealing with drugs, whatever it may be, deal with it today. Stop, run. 1 Corinthians 16, 18 says flee, run from sexual immorality. Whatever it is, get away from it. And you go, well, that's just kind of an avoidance thing. No, that's dealing with it. That's calling sin what it is. That's dealing with it. Because there are people that are listening to what I'm saying today, and you are emotionally involved, you're married and you're emotionally involved with someone of the opposite sex, 
and that you're, you're already there because things are bad at home or there's things wrong in your marriage, your relationship or whatever's going on or maybe you're just that jacked up. I don't know, but you're involved. And what I would tell you is cut the string, sever the relationships. If you have to quit your job and go somewhere else, do whatever you have to do. But do you understand what's happening in the economy? Do you understand what will happen to your soul if you don't? Who cares about the economy? I'm telling you, I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're shouting, and I understand this is a heavy message, but I'm telling you, that's, what's hap- that's, what, that's what goes on. Some of you go, well, man, I'm young, and we just kind of mix it up at the clubs. I mean, just, didn't Jesus hang out with the publicans and with the sinners? Yeah, but he wasn't slap drunk. He didn't smell like a brewery. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Get out of there. You have no place being there. This isn't like Chili's and I'm going to step over into the bar area so I can watch the game or see the PGA, watch the Masters for a few minutes while I'm waiting on my food to come. You're straight up in a club. Get out. Mmm. Run. You find yourself in situations where, where sexually you're, you're single and, and you just keep wa- waking up in somebody else's bed. Ha- have your wingman not hook you up, just help you out. You know what I'm saying? Just be there with you to keep you from falling into temptation. Woe to the man, the Bible says, that falls. I'm telling you, I'm up in somebody's kitchen right now who falls, and when he falls, he cries out and no one hears him. That wingman's there to keep you from getting into sin, not to help you get, get hooked up. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, get away from it. If you can't handle online, unplug it from your house. <gasps> but how will we live? <laughs> Let's see. 1994, we didn't have it previous to that, and we probably did okay. You can't handle it on your phone? Then don't have a smartphone. Have an unsmartphone. Have a dumb phone, right? Just flip phone. You know what I'm talking about? They still sell those with the big fat buttons, the antennas. I'm telling you, some of you need to trade your smartphone in and you need to downgrade your technology because you can handle what you see on the screens. Whatever you have to do, run. Run from it. Flee from it. Get away from it. The second thing is become accountable. Be accountable. Be accountable. And you have to initiate this. Accountability is an upward. It's not a downward. It's an upward. If I want to have accountability in my life, I have got to submit myself to it. Someone cannot come into my life and demand accountability from me. I don't care if it's in a job situation, if it's in a ministry situation, or if it's in a lifestyle situation. If you're the only person who knows your secrets, you're in a bad place. They said that again. If you're the only person that knows your secrets, you're in a very bad place. Don't tell everybody, but you better tell somebody. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces him will find mercy. He who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Have somebody in whom you are accountable to. Let me tell you how this works. You find somebody that you know is trustworthy and that you have confidence in their confidentiality. And then you go to them. And you say, I would like to know, I, I, I need some help. I'm asking, would you help me be accountable? I'd like to submit my life or submit some areas of my life to you. I, I do this. And that person or persons in my life know my vulnerabilities and they know my weaknesses. That's a scary thing. 
but it's what keeps me free. Because if I'm the only person that knows where I'm weak and I'm having to navigate it, I will fall and stumble in the darkness. But those friends of mine, those fellow pastors of mine that love me and that care about me and, and that don't care who I am and they don't care if I'm successful or I'm not successful, or what they do is they care about me as a person and they care about me as a father and they care about me as someone who's trying to, to, to lead in the local church, they'll ask me the hard questions and, and, and they'll, they'll kind of get in my kitchen. They know my vulnerabilities. You better have somebody that does that. And I have found that, I mean, Tammy and I, we don't keep secrets from one another, but she's a woman and, and I'm a man, and there are things that I deal with that she completely just, it's, it's not even anywhere in her orbit, and I don't want to pull things onto her, and there are things that she deals with that, quite frankly, I'm like, uh-huh, 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 and it's not that I don't love her, it's just, it's not in my, all right, you understand what I'm saying? And so, so I have found that, I find, find that there are men in ministry, guys that are fellow pastors, some of that are my age and others that are older, than me, that I completely submit myself and become accountable and open myself up to, to ask me questions, to call me on the carpet at any point in time. She has the same thing in her life. What kind of questions do you ask? Well, I'm just giving you some samples. I'm asking, are you spending your time with God? You may go, well, that's just kind of, no, no. In my life, I preach the Bible for a living. I know that sounds morbidly weird, but that's what I do. And so if I'm not careful, everything that I do comes about sermon preparation and it has nothing to do about a personal relationship with God. That's why a minister can preach God's word every single weekend and, and, and what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Is your thought life pure? These are questions that they ask me. How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with Tammy? When's the last time you went on a date with Tammy? When's the last time you guys spent time together? How are things going? And they kind of go deeper from, I mean, they, these are just kind of launching points. Have you seen anything with your eyes that you should not have seen? Are you walking in obedience towards God? Is God asking you to do things in your life that you're doing or you're not doing? Are you walking in obedience to his word? And have you just lied to me about any of the previous questions? And there are times that I go, yeah. I don't want you to know, I, I don't, there's nothing in any of us that we want to be that vulnerable. Listen to me, that's, there's nothing in anybody on this planet because you're scared to death that if I'm really that vulnerable, you're going to leave me. If I'm really that open, you're not going to like me. Every person what we don't talk about. It's what we don't deal with it. It's not because, well, we're men and, well, we're women. And it's because the reality is, is that we don't want anybody to be that close to us to really know us in that way. And don't say, well, Jesus knows me that way. Yeah, he does. But he still says we need brothers and sisters in the Lord to call us on our junk in the name of Jesus. Holla. You know what I'm saying? Be accountable. The third thing is take precautions. Take precautions. This is preemptive. Pre, meaning before it happens, not afterwards. It's much easier to prevent something from happening than to clean up the mess. What are you doing to prevent or to keep sin from happening in your life? Proverbs 5 verse 8 says, Keep to a path far from her and do not go near the door of her house. It's speaking of, of, of an adulteress or, or of, a, of a, a woman of, of ill repute. Don't keep far from a path from her and do not go near to the house. What are you doing to stay away from areas in your life where you're weak? And never think this, that could never happen to me. 
especially in church, I meet people like, oh, man, I just don't think that could happen to me. Because everybody that's in this room are one step away from stupid. You can write that down. That's theological. <laughs> Precautions. I'm telling you. In my own life, I go, I know. And I've heard great men of God say this. You know, the day that I think that I'm immune to falling is the day that I'm most susceptible. The day that I think that the devil can't get me is the day that I am, my guard is down. And so this isn't something, this is, let me tell you something. You don't get to a place in God where you arrive. This is a journey. That's what's going to be so wonderful about heaven is that this struggle of sin will be over. And we all deal with stuff. And so for me, there are certain precautions that I have in my life, certain precautions that we put together, even with the staff. I don't travel alone. Uh, if, I, if I'm going from Milwaukee to somewhere else, I'm either someone's with me or I'm meeting somewhere, someone there. I, I very rarely am I ever alone uh, uh, because of the fact that I just don't want anyone to be able to say that I was doing something that I wasn't doing, and I don't want to be tempted by something uh, to, to, to do something that would be, say, well, I'm in another city, and so who knows what I'm doing, who knows what's going on. I'm always meeting someone, staying with someone. I'm connected. I'm, I am in constant conversation with my wife and with the office and my phone and, 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 and uh, the board. They know all my travels. Uh, my assistant knows all my travels. My wife knows all my travels. The executive pastor, Ryan Coggins, knows all of my travels. I mean, it's very much there. Everything's an open book. Um, filters on Internet. Um, to, to just to say, man, I just don't even want to go there. Um, when it comes to, I'm never alone with the opposite sex. I don't want to be put in that position. I don't counsel that way. I don't meet someone. I don't do that. Uh, I, I always have someone with me. Um, I'm always speaking well of my wife. You won't hear me just making, just even if it's for a laugh or for whatever, because I think that opens up a door uh, that, um, that, you know, well, oh, well, man, maybe things aren't good. And so the enemy just tries to come in and, and do that. Uh, you know, we, we don't ever travel. I'm never in a car with, uh, with a female um, unless it's my wife or my kids, my, my mom, my mother-in-law, that kind of a deal. Um, just that type of a thing. Um, you know, I just, we just, there's just certain precautions. Why? They're wrong? No, it's just I don't ever want to have the appearance of evil, and I don't ever want to go someplace that, will, that would ever bring reproach upon the ministry. And there's something that I do that I would heavily encourage all of you to do, and that is rehearse the consequences. What happens if I mess up? In my world, and, and, and most of us is this way, I'll, I'll grieve the one that saved me. You know, during this time of the year when we think about Easter and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, on the cross for us, I, I don't want to disappoint. He gave his life. I will face, I will stand before God and give an account for my life, and even, even more strictly because I'm, I'm a leader. If I fail, it'll affect the church. I think about you. I think about those of you that are in this room that lend your um, trust to me as a pastor, to a board, to staff. I think about my wife. I think about my kids. Oh, those kids, their dad's that Pentecostal preacher over there that, that he was doing this, that, and the other. Because they got to get up and go to school every day. I think about wasting 20 plus years of, of, of the work of my life on some stupid sin. And ultimately, 
I undermine the work of other pastors because every time a pastor falls, I feel it and every other guy that works in the ministry feels it. The, the, the scrutiny becomes a little tighter. The, the questions become a little tighter. The, 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 the suspicion becomes a little bit more. And sometimes when you realize, hey, this is what I'm going to do or this is what the consequences are, it kind of keeps you on the straight and narrow. It kind of goes, I don't want to go there. I don't want my kids to go there. I don't want to stand before my wife. I don't stand before you. Not perfect. But man, I, I, I want to, I'm not trying to be happy. I just want to be holy. You know what I'm talking about? And that's all of us. What are the things that if you go down that path and that sin leads you to death and to destruction, what happens? You grieve the Lord. You'll, you'll grieve the one that saved your soul. You'll stand before God and give a, give a judgment count. It'll affect your life. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect your spouse. It'll affect your testimony. And there may be people that don't receive a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because they could not see that Jesus could work in your life. How could he ever work in their life? And they walk away from that. You go, that's heavy. That's just reality. And the devil knows it. That's the reason why he, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the reason why he wants you to keep your, your, your issues secret and keep them under wrap. That's the reason why he doesn't want you to be accountable. That's the reason why he doesn't want you to talk about this. That's the reason why it's so uncomfortable right now because there's that fear and that fear and that fear. But remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and of a sound mind. Anytime you have a spirit of fear, that's not the Lord. That's the enemy of your soul. And the fourth thing I would say is make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Make him Lord of your life. Not just Savior, but Lord. There's a difference. Not just, you know, I ask Jesus Christ to come to my heart my life and Savior, but Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 and 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let it rule. Don't let it build its kingdom in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments for wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God, for sin shall not be your master. He's speaking to the church in Rome, Christ followers who are following Christ, which means that we all have the ability to do this. And some people go, well, sin doesn't master me. Oh, no, no, no. Let me ask you a couple questions to find out if sin masters you. Do your family and friends say that you've got a problem? Do you continue your behavior knowing that you are hurting or potentially hurting other people? Do you manage your schedule around your secret sin? Can you go a week without it? And does it drive you to isolation to keep it private and hidden? Is it something that you would be ashamed to put on the screens of this room? Not just is Jesus Savior of your life, but is he Lord? Have you completely surrendered to him? In John chapter 8, we read, uh, we read an account of Jesus comes upon this scene where there's uh, kind of a, a group of, of religious leaders and religious individuals who are about to practice the law because they have a woman that they said has been caught in adultery. So she's in the center of this circle and they all have stones in their hands. And according to the Old Testament law, remember not during the dispensation of grace, that if a woman was found to be in adultery, that, that the, the, the men uh, of, of the community could try her and then stone her and kill her. Okay? So Jesus walks up, up on this, and, um, 
And, 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 he, and, and he sees this and he asks the question, or they ask the question of him because of the law and they know who he is and they're trying to kind of trip him up anyhow. And they say, do we stone her or do we let her go? And Jesus replies, whoever around the circle has no sin, who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he gets quiet. And then the Bible says that he drops down and he begins to write in the dirt. Now, we don't know what he writes. Scholars have gone back and forth. I think when we get to heaven, we'll know. I, I think there's, 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 there's two schools of thought, and I, I think both are probably pretty accurate. I think either one, he begins to write the names of all the individuals that this woman has slept with, and it's some of these guys standing around the circle. <laughs> Talking about reading your mail. Or he begins to name, write the names of the mistresses of these individuals Barbara, Sally, oh, that's me, I'm out, peace out, you know? <laughs> Whatever happens, one by one, they begin to drop their stones and they leave. And the only person standing there with this woman who's been found guilty, who committed adultery, who broke the law, she's standing there with Jesus. And when she stands there with Jesus, unmasked, completely ashamed, Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And the woman looks at her and says, they're gone. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, after he says this, he speaks again to the people that are standing around watching this. And he says, for I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. We've all been there. We've all been that woman standing in the middle. Maybe that's where you are tonight. And I just want to let you know that Jesus' light and his life is available for you. That he's not here to condemn you and neither am I. But that you got two options. Option number one, you can deal with your secret sin. You can deal with it today and find freedom and find forgiveness. Or you can walk out of here and conceal it and carry it like carry-on luggage the rest of your life and then stand before a, before a holy God one day, before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for it. It's your choice. But one of the two things are going to happen. And you go, that just sounds really just harsh. That's the truth of the matter. The grace of the matter is, is that he's there to forgive you. The grace of the matter is, is that he's there and that he doesn't condemn you, that he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could come out of the darkness, so that we could put the mask down, so that we could let the secret sins go and walk into the light and live in the light and live in the light and the life of the light. John three sixteen. For God so loved you and me that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. This message is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of life. It's a message to tell you you don't have to live and deal with the sin cycle in your life and the sin sickness that you feel. You can let it go. 
Because this is what my prayer is for you. This is the very last, last statement I want to make that's going to be on the screen. And, and as I make it, Randall's going to make his way just to begin to play. But this is my desire for you, that today I make a fresh commitment to spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. That today I make a fresh commitment to spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. Would you close your eyes with me today? Bow your heads. Today, I, I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to Jesus, not as Savior, but as Lord. I'm going to ask you that, to say, you know, we've all been there. We've all dealt with that. We all deal with that. So I'm not going to ask you if you deal with secret sin or you deal with with issues and things that you struggle with because that would be everybody in the room. And if anybody didn't raise their hand to that, you're lying. I mean, we, it's just all in Scripture. But the question is, are you going to let it sit in secret or are you going to come into the light and find forgiveness and find freedom? Are you going to allow Jesus Christ not just be the Savior of your soul for eternity in the sweet by and by, are you going to let the life and the light of the life of Jesus Christ Come into your life here now and let him be Lord. And that means you surrender all of it to him. And you give it to him. And you confess it to him. And you find that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Even at the West Campus, every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask you to simply do this at the West Campus and at the Germantown Campus. If that's you... I just want you to slip up your hand and say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Thanks. 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 All around the room, people are lifting their hands. Thanks. Thanks. I want him to be Lord of my life. Not just Savior, but Lord. Not just, not just something, not just fire insurance to keep me out of hell. But I want, I want to make him Lord of my life. Here's what I want you to, to do today. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you pray and just say this? God, I love you. Thank you for not condemning me. And today, I give you my life. And I ask you to be number one. Be my Lord and my Savior. And with all of my heart, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to know you. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, I continue to pray right now for your people. And I just pray, oh God, I don't accuse anyone. And the accusers are gone. The stones have been dropped. And neither do you can condemn us. Lord, your word says that the accuser of the, breth- of the brethren... Is Satan himself, not you. That you're the one that comes and gives us life and grace. And so, Father, today I just pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to live the life that right now we desire to live. I pray for every pastor on our staff. God, I pray for my own self lest I would preach a message like this and fall away. Lord, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is sometimes very, very weak. 
And I pray, oh God, uphold us in your righteous right hand. As the psalmist David so eloquently wrote in the Old Testament. Keep us and put a hedge of protection around us. And guard us from all sides. Guard our marriages and our homes. God, guard our lifestyles, our actions, our words. Lord, I pray, let us live in the light and in the life of the light that you are, Jesus. Let us push away from the darkness and push away from the shadows. Let us confess boldly that we can find forgiveness and find freedom. And God, let us take all the secrecy away. Let us clear out all the closets of our soul. God, let us clear out all the basement of our life. And God, just surrender it to you and let the life and the light that's in the life, Lord, be exposed in every area of our lives and our marriages and our homes and our families and our actions and our attitudes. And I pray, keep us. God, I pray, keep us and give us the strength. And I pray, Lord, that this week when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes slyly around trying to to get us to fall or to falter, that, oh, Lord God, that you, Lord, that you would remind us of this word and this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Just thank God.